a welcome to the Church Home podcast. My name is David, and I'm the CEO here at Church Home, and I'm so glad that you joined us today. In just a moment, you're gonna hear an encouraging message from Chelsea around the person of Jesus and his love for you. But if as a community we can serve you in any way, we would love to do so. And the best way to get connected is to actually chat with one of our pastors on the Pastor Chat tool, which you can find on our website at churchhome.org or on the Church Home app. And hey, if you've been listening to these podcasts and have been impacted in your journey and walk with Jesus, we want to invite you to join us on the journey of generosity in helping to reach others by helping this podcast and other tools that we use to reach and tell the story of Jesus across the globe. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy this encouraging message. We are talking about God and your money. And specifically, how do we get our money to God? And the reason I'm nervous about this is because it's a subject that has been abused so much in church. And we have lived in a generation that has seen the abuse of, I really believe, the manipulation of spiritual power for the reason of personal gain for the people doing the talking of getting more money from people. Can I just say it that plainly? (laughs) And if you are new to church and you haven't experienced any of that, Congratulations. If you're not, and you had a lingering feeling of that, can I just say, I agree with you. I don't disagree with you. But the reason I'm here overcoming my nerves to talk about money is that money affects our everyday lives. Anybody agree with that? Like you would, like I I deal with money pretty much every day. Sometimes I get a Saturday where I don't go out of the house and man, it feels good. But pretty much we have something involved with money every day of our lives. And in fact, Jesus knew it was so important that it was the second most talked about topic by Jesus. And if you read all the interactions he had with people and the things that he talked about, all of a sudden you can read through the gospels and realize, wow, Jesus Jesus had a lot to say about money. So we're going to get into it and we're going to have fun. And it's going to be from a new perspective. I believe through the power of what God has told us in his word, you are going to be set free in such an amazing way. And so for that, I'm taking the risk and we're talking about money. Now, here's the thing. We're not just going to talk about money. We're talking specifically about the tithe. And if you've never been around the church, church, let me give you a really quick definition of what tithe is. In Hebrew, tithe literally means 10th. And in the Bible, the tithe is the practice of, it's a worshipful act of faith of paying the first 10% of our income to God. Let me say that again. The tithe is a worshipful act of faith of paying our first 10% of our income to God. Now, here's what's happening. Normally in public speaking, you want to use this intro part to like bring tension around in the room and like want people like want to lean in and care what you have to say and like tease them out. Like, here's the questions I'm going to answer and like make people wonder, oh, so what's the bottom line going to be? Here's what I think. I think I just said giving 10% of your income to God, there is enough tension in the room already. So let me just give you the bottom line. Like this breaks every rule of public speaking, but hopefully it's a rule of pastoring. And I'm going to tell you where the bottom line is going so that you can like maybe hopefully take a break, take a breath, relax, and listen so that, so that you're not worried that there's going to be some catch at the end. And I promise this is the bottom line where we're going. Under the new covenant, living under Jesus, it is not required of us to tithe. There's nowhere in scripture is there, is there a requirement for tithing. And even more specifically here at church home, 
there's no requirement for tithing. There's no in-group, out-group. There's no the people who tithe belong more. There is that does not exist here at Church Home. So if you're looking for that, hopefully you can be at ease. But here is what I want to tell you. The tithe is God's plan for our lives to move our money from a natural, decaying, rotting state that we'll explain later into a supernatural, divine, heavenly kingdom state. And I believe, and this is where we're going to end up, that what God does supernaturally with our 90% is so much more than what happens naturally with 100%. So just so you know, okay, oh, okay, I already got a little bit more than a golf clap. Okay, we'll take that. So, but don't take my word for it. Let's go to the Bible and see what the Bible has to say about all that. Sound good? Let's, we're going to start with the one time Jesus did mention tithe. And it's found in Matthew chapter 23 and verse 23. And it says it clearest in the New Living Translation. And here's the setup. Jesus is talking to Pharisees and scribes and religious leaders. And he says to them, what sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law and Pharisees? Like, you guys are hypocrites. And you want to know why? Because you are so careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb, herb gardens. Can you imagine like picking your basil from your herb garden? Like, oh, got to give it ten, every 10 leaf, got to bring it. Like that's, that's basically what they were doing. Jesus said, you're so careful to do that, but you, have, you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice and mercy and faith which is why that is what Judah preaches on the majority of time of the time. It's very rare that you're going to come get a message about tithing in church home, but it's just the right time, and you're going to see why in a second. And then Jesus said, you should tithe, yes, but don't neglect the more important things. And I just love this statement from Jesus because it sets us all up that should we tithe? Yeah, but it's not the most important thing. And just so you know, all from, from, the, from the beginning and the get-go, that's what we believe at church home. That's what we see it. But I want you to understand this principle of tithing so that you can make your own decision if you are going to participate in this, in this event that God has for you, for your own life and for your own, for your own ministry and my, your own ministry, your own family and money. Okay, let's pray. Jesus, help us. Lord, help, help me accurately communicate what you want to say because I believe... This topic is so beautiful and powerful. It can really transform our lives. And Lord, I pray for every person who is listening. God, I pray that you would just open up our hearts. You would open up our minds. You would open up our spirits. God, I really pray specifically right now in this moment of anybody who has been hurt by the church and the way that the church is communicated around finances. God, first of all, right now, I pray that you would protect their heart in these next few moments. But Lord, I ask that you would even take these moments to bring healing and bring restoration into any of those individuals' hearts. Jesus, we trust you. We trust you. We love you. In your name, amen. So I grew up tithing. I grew up that kid in late early 80s, late 80s, I had a dollar a week for allowance, and my parents made sure that I gave a dime of that dollar in the church offering bucket when it came around. Anybody remember church in the days where they literally like passed buckets? We had burgundy velvet um, pouches. There was like a stick on this end and a stick on this end, and it was always fun how you would like take it and then take it and take it. And it was like I, I was really mesmerized by the passing process as I was a kid in church. But I gave a dime. But here's the reality for me of giving a dime in the late 80s in Portland, Oregon, where there is no sales tax, is all I wanted to do with my dollar allowance is walk down on a Saturday to Seton's Pharmacy on 60th and go buy myself two, two candy bars. But do you know how much candy bars were back in 1988? 
50 cents. And when I gave my 10 cents into that tithe bucket, do you know what that meant? I only got one candy bar. And then for the other 40 cents, I had to use it for like the penny candies and like the Nico wafers and the Zots and, you know, like the, the little candies. I couldn't get my two candy bars because I was giving my tithe in the, in the basket every week. And tithe was really taught, if I'm being honest and I'm not blaming anybody, my parents were doing their best, um, but it was really taught from a fear perspective. It was taught from Malachi chapter three, which by the way, this is the only time I'm going to reference it, where it says you're gonna be cursed if you don't tithe. So you better tithe so you're not cursed. And that was the way that the act of tithe was for us. And then as we got older, it was, yeah, you have to tithe, you know, to be in covenant with Jesus and kind of wrestling through this. And so I've always tithed, Judah and I have always tithed. It's always been part of our financial life. And we've seen God do so many miracles, but about in 2007, God started speaking to Judah about grace and this revelation of Jesus and the centrality of Christ. We started looking through the scriptures and honestly, we we're just like, we don't see it. We believe that we're under Jesus, so it's impossible to be cursed because he took all of the curses on himself that would, would have been on us. So we don't believe we can be cursed and we don't believe we can do anything to add to the finished work of Jesus that he's already provided for us. So... What, what do we actually believe about tithing? And if Jude and I are really honest from a pastoral perspective, in a lot of ways, we, we haven't talked a lot about tithing publicly. And a lot of it has been for this very reason of wrestling with, okay, this dichotomy of, hey, we know we have been supernaturally blessed because we tithe, but we know we don't have to, and we know we don't do it under a curse. And so how do we actually talk about this? What do we believe about this theologically? And so I'm so grateful for our doctrine committee that we have here at Church Home. Together as a committee, we spent hours going over this and agonizing and talking and retalking and writing and rewriting so that we could really come up with a cohesive theology around around tithing. And don't worry, I'm not going into all of the details and nitty gritty of that. But I want you to know that that is the root of where this came from. This wasn't just me, Chelsea, sitting in my bedroom one morning being like, oh, you know what, church home, we need to get those tithes up. So we better have a good message about tithe. Like this has been a 10-year journey in the making, at least for us at church home. And then the craziest thing happened. Uh, last week, my parents were staying with us and I was in the kitchen studying for this message. And my dad said, what are you talking about? And I said, tithing. And he looked at me and goes, Really? He goes, now this is my dad who made sure I put a dime for every dollar in the offering bucket. This is the dad who I grew up with and who was always a tither. And he looks at me and he like started whispering almost as if it was a confession. He goes, I stopped tithing a few years ago. I was like, what? You know, like when your parents tell you something about this like confession, you, I felt like a real adult in that moment. The second I realized, wait, you came to our church and then you stopped tithing? <laughs> Come on, dad. I thought I was better than that. And he said, I didn't tithe for a few years because I didn't, you know, similar to us. He's like, I just couldn't do it under the law anymore. I just couldn't see that in scripture. He said, but then a couple of years ago, a friend came and asked me, are you tithing? And my dad said, no. And they started having a beautiful friend to friend conversation. And dad, my dad said something stirred in him to actually start tithing again. And so my dad is in my kitchen and he is not an emotional man. And he looked at me with tears in his eyes and he said, Chelsea, I have never been so grateful to tithe. I've never felt so in love with Jesus and I've never felt so valued as a person. 
And for me to picture my dad, who's been doing a practice his whole life out of religious duty and routine and a bit of fear, that he could have such a transformation that instead of religious routine and duty and fear, it was out of love with Jesus and faith and expectation. That is my entire prayer for you. So even if you're in here and you are a tither, please don't check out. This is not, this is still for you. And if you never have been, can you, I just believe you're going to listen with an open heart and really get into tithe. So let's get into tithe in the scripture. Now, here's what we all understand about studying the Bible is that anytime the first mention, something is mentioned for the first time in scripture, that's actually the most important part. So the first mention of sin, the first mention of, of Jesus, the, the first mention is important. So the first mention of tithe comes from Genesis chapter 14. And here in Genesis chapter 14, we see Abraham. Do, um, do you guys know Abraham? Father Abraham had many, like any Sunday school kids, many sons had Father Abraham. It was the song that we sang to get the wiggles out in Sunday school. Why did we sing that song in Sunday school? Uh, Ephesians or Galatians, somewhere in the Bible, um, Galatians 3, 7, tells us that we are children of Abraham. We are sons and daughters of Abraham. When we became followers of Jesus, we were grafted into Abraham. So although the law of Moses has been eradicated and we don't follow the law of Moses, we do follow the faith of Abraham. So here it is. Here's our father, Abraham, had many sons. And he's in Genesis chapter 14. He wasn't actually in Genesis 14. He was in Mesopotamia in the Middle East somewhere. But we read about him in Genesis chapter 14, and he had his, his Lot, his nephew who had just been kidnapped, he went with all his warriors, went and rescued Lot and had all this plunder. And all of a sudden in Genesis 14, uh, verse 18, the most random scripture appears. And it says this, and Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. And let me tell you a couple things about this. First of all, Melchizedek, they never give him a genealogy in the Bible. And have you read through right now, I'm, I'm in my Old Testament Bible reading plan and like Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus, all the genealogies and ever thought, I don't care. I don't care whose dad was who and whose son was who and I can't pronounce these names and God, can I please skip these and still check it off in my Bible reading plan? That's me. So genealogies in these days were very important. You could not be a person of significance without having a genealogy. But all of a sudden, like, this is the first time Melchizedek is message. It just said, and Melchizedek, and who was he? He doesn't have a genealogy, the king of Salem. And Salem means prince, uh, peace, sorry. Salem means shalom. And scholars will now look at the life of Melchizedek, and we can read about it in Hebrews in the New Covenant, and realize that this person, Melchizedek, who just showed up to our father Abraham, when most scholars would believe that he was a pre-incarnate Christ. So this is the first time Jesus shows up actually in human flesh. He wasn't known as Jesus at this point, but he's known as, is known as Melchizedek. And he shows up, the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. That is the name of our Jesus. And that is the name of Melchizedek. And what does he do? This blows me away. He comes to our father Abraham. And what does he give him? He gives him bread and he gives him wine. You know, so often we talk, to, we talk about communion and the Last Supper being the first communion. But actually, theologically, I believe this was the first communion. This was the pre-incarnate Christ giving to our father Abraham, who had just gone through a rough time but came out of it blessed. And he said, hey, here's the cup. And what did Jesus say? Here's the cup. As often as you drink it, 
drink it for the remission of your sins. In other words, you and I know that we are forgiven through Jesus because of his blood. And then Melchizedek brought out the, brought out the bread and said, here's the body that's going to bring healing to you and healing to nations and healing to your wife. And there's a beautiful moment of the first communion. And what was Abraham's response to that? goes and say, and this is Melchizedek, he blessed Abraham and said, blessed be Abram by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. He speaks this beautiful blessing over him. God who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And what was Abraham's response of being blessed by God? And this is the very first time we see tithe in scripture. It says, and Abram gave him a 10th of everything. Could you imagine what Abraham who had never heard of this concept he didn't have anybody standing up here teaching him on tithe, but he just received something so powerful, so life-changing, gave him hope where he didn't have hope. It encouraged him where he had been discouraged. And all of a sudden he just received a blessing and bread and wine. And Abraham's response was, here you go. I willingly give you a 10th of everything that I own and everything I possess. And then we never hear from Melchizedek again. And to me, the power of this being the first mention of tithe in the Bible tells us that our tithe is not a payment under the law. Our tithe isn't something that we have to do, but it is something that if you have received the forgiveness of Jesus and that forgiveness has changed you and transformed you and you realize, I'm, I'm forgiven. I'm, I, I don't have shame anymore. I don't have guilt anymore. I don't have to worry about my future. God loves me. He's taking care of me. And you know Jesus in that way. Could it be that our response is to say, you can have a tenth. You can have a tithe. It belongs to you. Actually, God, my whole life belongs to you. The reason I have breath is because of you. But you asked for a tenth and so... I will, give you, I will give you a tenth because it's what you asked for and I'm going to give this to you. You know, it's an act of worship. And this is what is so powerful and I believe the transformation happened in my dad is it went from an act of religious duty to an act of worship. And for us as sons and daughters of God, when we worship him, it just does something to his father's heart that he can't be any more pleased with us because he's fully pleased with us. But I just don't know. It just does something. I could not love my kids any more than I love my kids. I just want to explode sometimes when I talk about them. But a couple of years ago, I had a, just some health, chronic, chronic health problems, and um, I had days where I couldn't really get out of bed, and I hated those days. My kids were in elementary school, and I would honestly just lay in bed and cry. I'd be like, my kids are just sitting around watching TV. I'm a horrible mom. I can't get out of bed. I'm, you know, and, and all of all of just those sad self-pity thoughts, really. I had better moments. But there were so many times when his uh, middle son, Elliot, especially, he just has this sensitive, tender heart. Go, Mom, he'd just come upstairs. Mom, can I get you some tea? Can I make you some apples and peanut butter? And he would come, like, all he could use was a butter knife, you know, and, like, the most, like, jangiest cut-up apples you could even imagine, this blob of peanut butter and, like, this tea. And I didn't make him do it. It wasn't part of his chores. But he just willingly offered that to me out of love for me. And I will tell you, those moments got me through some days. Did I love Elliot anymore because of that? No. But it did, did it do something in my heart? Oh, you have no idea. And God, our heavenly father, when we worship him with acts and actions of faith, it just does something to his heart that we can't explain. 
And here's the bottom line. I think if that is all that tithing is, that would be enough. If it was an act of worship that I got to give back to my God who was giving me everything and he only asked for 10% in return to me, it would, that would be enough. <laughs> in my head, I was just about to sound like an infomercial, but there's more. <laughs> Remember the infomercials? Like, you get this, but there's more. Sorry, that I made myself laugh. But there's more. Tithing is actually more than an act of worship. And we're going to get into that here as we talk about money throughout the Bible. Because here's the thing. Have you ever wondered and asked yourself this question? Why does money seem to disappear? Why does money rot? Why does money have to degenerate? Why does the Snickers bar that Chelsea bought in the late 80s for 50 cents right now cost $1.19 at Target? It's the same things, but the, I mean, you know, you heard your, the expression, dollar can't buy you what you used to. I remember when I used to spend $2.50 for coffee at Starbucks, and I thought that was insane. Now it's like $6.50. I'm like, but the coffee beans are still coffee beans. Like, what, why is this happening? Or money rots, money seems to disappear. And of course, if we didn't know this before, we feel like we're all getting hit in the face with inflation right now, right? Like anytime you turn on the news, inflation, inflation, your dollar's going to be worth more. Will you be able to retire? Your age of retirement is going up. Inflation. Well, what is inflation? It's actually the lessening value of money. $100 can't buy you what $100 used to buy. Why is that? Why is it in every economy? It's not just in capitalism. In every economy, the natural state of money is to degenerate. The natural state of money is to rot. The natural state of money is to be devalued over a process of time. Have you ever wondered why that is? And maybe you haven't, but hopefully now you do. So we're going to answer that question going back to the book of Genesis. And in Genesis, you know the story, Adam and Eve sinned. All of a sudden, they were going to be able to live forever. They sinned. God cursed. God pronounced some curses, and then they got kicked out of the garden, and now here we are today. So in one of these moments where God is speaking to Adam and Eve as a result of their sin, as a result of their rejection on God, it says that God said to Adam, because you've listened to the voice of your wife, oops, who, and you've eaten of the tree of the vine, which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it, which is sin. And you know why that hurt God? Not because he's some legalistic tyrant, but it hurt his heart in that moment that Adam and Eve didn't trust him, that they couldn't believe what he told them was good and beneficial and helpful for them. And so, and God actually put in a lot of these things to protect Adam and Eve, although it doesn't sound like it necessarily. And listen to what the curse of Genesis chapter three says. It says, um, cursed is the ground because of you and in pain, you shall eat of it all of the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat of the plants of the field by the sweat of your face, and you shall eat the bread, and until you're going to live this life of sweating and toiling and working, until you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, out dust to dust, ashes to ashes, and to dust you shall return." And so this is the first time God really mentioned money or finances in Scripture, and we know that this curse... Uh, is still in place, this way of the world operating is still in place because we still die, right? We still go, and even though through Jesus it's been redeemed, the other part of this that I didn't read is that women shall have pain and childbirth, and I can tell you firsthand three times over that this curse is still in place. Although, thank God for epidurals, I don't, I, I, I have respect for women who go natural, 
respect for you. I don't understand you because my father-in-law used to have a saying, no pain, no pain. And I was like, I will sign up for that. So I, I, I kind of got away with not horrible pain in childbirth because of epidurals. But the reality is, is that is still the reality of the world we live in is we still die. There's still pain in childbirth and the fruit of the ground is still cursed. Now, what is the fruit of the ground? It's hard for us on a non um, agricultural environment to understand, but all the money that we make is the fruit of the ground. I mean, literally money is printed on paper, which is the fruit of the, which may, comes from trees, which is a literal fruit of the ground. But every dollar that we make is represented by something of value that came out of the ground, whether food, whether oil, whether gold, whether diamonds, whether wood to build homes. If you think about it, all of, all of our money is still based on a result of the fruit of the ground. And so here in Genesis 3, we see that the reality of the world that we live in is that our money is cursed and it's in a natural state of decay. But here's my question. Would our loving God really just want us to live that way? Would he want us to stay under the same curse that everything else is under just living? Well, this is just the way it is and we're just stuck with this and this is just how, how we have to handle our money, I guess. It's just neither here nor there. Takes wings and flies away, Solomon said. So I guess that's just what children of God were, we have to succumb to too. To me, that doesn't sound like the good father who I know and who I serve. And because of that, I believe that tithing is the way that redeems our money. And it takes it from a cursed natural state to a redeemed, supernatural, heavenly, blessed state. But let me explain to you why, because I didn't even get half of a golf clap on that. It's okay. <laughs> let me explain to you why. Throughout the Bible, there is a principle of first. And when something was going to happen... If the first was given, the rest would be redeemed. When the firstborn of a son was born into a family, the family had to go pay for him to the priest to essentially redeem him, and then all of the rest would be holy. If there was a, a cow, the first calf that came out of that cow was given to God, and then all of the rest of the calves that that cow ever birthed would be holy. We see it in Romans chapter 11, just so you know, this is part of the new covenant principles as well. It says that if the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so if you give a dough offered the first part, if you give it and it's holy, so the whole lump and the root is holy, and so are the branches. You know what's the saying? If you offer some of the fruit of the ground, and you say, God, this is holy, it's sacred, it's yours, I'm setting it aside to yours, then guess what? The whole lump is holy all the way down to the roots and the branches, and that cursed ground is not cursed any longer because we have given it to God. We're saying, God, this is holy, this is yours. And that's a principle, not just in our money, but throughout the scripture. And the most mm, beautiful picture of this is what you and I get to live and walk in every single day. And what is that picture? Who is the firstborn son of God? Jesus. Jesus was the firstborn. John 3, 16, it's the most favorite, famous scripture for a reason. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, his firstborn son, so that whoever believes in him wouldn't perish, but have everlasting life. You know what you and I are if we've acknowledged Jesus and we've accepted him as our savior and he took all of our sins and gave us all of his righteousness? We are the rest 
We are the redeemed. You know, I've ever heard that it's a good old Frank Kirk, Frank, Kirk Franklin song, let the redeemed of the Lord say. So like, woo, I'm redeemed. What's it mean to be redeemed? I've been bought back. There was a price that was paid, but it wasn't my price. Jesus was the first son. And because he was given, I'm holy. Because Jesus was given, I'm redeemed. Because Jesus was given, I'm not damned to hell. I am blessed to eternal life with the Father. Because Jesus was given, I don't have to live in worry. I have peace. Because Jesus was given and I am part of the rest, the redeemed, I don't live a natural life. I live a supernatural life walking with Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit. Nothing about my life is natural or normal, not because of me, but because of him. And if that's the case with Jesus, let me just ask you about your money. If you give the first 10% of your money, do you really believe the other 90% to be normal? Do you really believe that other 90% to be average? And I feel like there's people in here that you've been tithing and you've been giving and it's been like a religious activity and you haven't even accepted the fact that your, your money is holy. Your money is blessed. Your money is supernatural. It does not function according to the economy of this world. It functions according to the economy of God and heaven and redemption and peace. And this is a gift that God wants to offer us. He does not make us do it. He can't love us anymore if we tithe, but God is our heavenly father, wants to give us this gift for our lives. And I don't wanna to sound too saleswoman-y, so just ignore me if this statement bothers you, but would you rather live on 100% natural or 90% supernatural? And, this is where my answers come to an end. How does it work? I don't know. How does it work? I cannot tell you. I genuinely could not look and say, you know, I know, but I know stories. And I'm afraid to tell you stories because I'm afraid to set us up for formulaic living. Like, okay, so if I do this and, and this is what happened for Judah and Chelsea, then this is what's going to happen for me. Nope, it doesn't work that way. All I know is Matthew 7, 11, we have a good father who loves to good give, give good gifts to his children and that what he does for you is different than what he does for me, but it's all working out according to the same principle. So with that in mind, can I still tell you two stories? Because I feel like it's one thing for you to hear it from me, but for your faith to be built around, can this work? Can 90% supernatural be more meaningful than 100% natural? Can it work? Quick story from Judah and I. We, um, we just became pastors and we were overwhelmed with leading all of you wonderful people. Uh, Grace, our baby girl, was five months old and trying to do all the things that we're doing. We came home from our, remember when we used to do church vision banquet at the Showware Center? Leon would remember. He worked really hard for that. We came home from church at the Showware Center, and I don't know why I decided to get the mail that day because we were pretty exhausted. And we get this huge packet from the IRS, like you are being audited. And not like the nice, like send in some things. It was, you will show up at this point, at this time, at the Bellevue location for, and you bring every piece of documentation because we are going to go through it. Expect a four-hour appointment. And I was like, because oh. my parents got audited growing up and I watched it and it was miserable and horrible. And you know that fear comes on you of, oh no, they're going to find a mistake I made. Like I never meant to do anything wrong. They're going to find a mistake and then all the penalties and the interest and they wanted like four years worth of tax, all the things. And I just go into worry, scared, worry, scared. So I show up with my little like 
accordion binder of all my paperwork. This is like pre-computer days. Like literally scared and shaking and nervous. And the guy starts looking through it. And honestly, the reason we got audited is because we gave so much that he's like, no, people don't give this much. So that was the first thing he asked for is show us the receipts of every dollar you gave. I was like, here you go, sir. Thank you very much. And as he started looking through it, he goes, oh, you guys overpaid by thousands of dollars. Huh? Let's look at the next year. Wow. The, last, the year before, you made the same mistake and overpaid by thousands of dollars. And all oh, the year before that, you made the same mistake and overpaid by thousands of dollars. And I just thought, look at God. You know what? We gave too much money to the government, and God wanted to make sure that we got it back because he saw it and he knew it. So thanks, Jesus. And I can't say that's a, I tithed and then I didn't get a bad audit. No, it doesn't always work that way. I'm just saying for us. That's how it worked. Uh, I just heard a story recently of a, of a new mom to our church who's just been coming to church for a while. She is, uh, we have some people who are hero, legend status around church home. These are people who are single parents. If you are a single parent, you are hero, legend. I see Kendra here, gonna make me cry. You're a hero, legend. And um, this uh, mom who's a single mom wrote into church a few weeks ago and said, you know, I saw a video Judah said about tithing and I just thought, sure, I could try this. She goes, my whole life, I've literally only lived paycheck, paycheck to paycheck. I've never had a savings. I've never had anything beyond food, eating, what I, could, what I could handle. She goes, but I started tithing within two weeks. She goes, I got an offer for the best paying job I've ever had. And for the first time in my life, I'm no longer living paycheck to paycheck to paycheck. And again, I can't say that's a formula. I can't say you're going to start tithing and then two weeks later you're going to get, I, I can't say that. But what I can promise you is that your money turns supernatural. And I can promise you that you have a good heavenly father who loves you so much, who wants to give good things when you ask him. And he gives you so much above and beyond what you, what you ever would earn or deserve because he gave us Jesus. But this is his plan for your finances and your funds to enter from a natural level to a spiritual level. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. So far, we haven't talked about, so how do you give your money to God? Because last time I saw, I couldn't see him. The point today is to get your faith to say, hey, God, is this something that you have for me? Is this a gift that you want for me to participate in to do something different with my finances? And I'm not going to give you that answer, but I'm, hopefully I've given you some tools for you to go have a good, meaningful conversation with God, meaningful conversation with your spouse, meaningful conversation with some roommates, and, and dig into this. Because I'm not lying. 10% of your money, that's a really big deal. And it matters. And that's not an easy decision. And I don't want you to think I'm saying this flippantly or taking it lightly. I'm just presenting to you what I believe God's plan is for your money, for supernatural. And how do we know? Because I've been redeemed by Jesus. And if we ever have to doubt if tithing works, you just go, I've been forgiven. I've been redeemed. It's a pretty supernatural, special way to live. Will you pray with me? Before then, if you're here and uh, you'd say, and uh, Chelsea, you know, you were talking about Jesus and, and I don't know him the way you were talking about him. I couldn't say I've been forgiven by him and that I've given him my life. If that's you and you'd say, but I, I want to, and maybe I don't understand all of it means, but there's something about Jesus that I want to say yes to. On the count of three, I'm just going to have you slip up your hands. And really, it's just a way so that you know that you said yes to Jesus because you can't ever deny that your hand moved. So on the count of three, that's you to slip up your hand. One, two, three all over. Beautiful, amazing, awesome, beautiful. Jesus, I thank you so much for every one of these hands that was raised. 
God, I pray as they say yes to you, Jesus, show them who you are. Show them your love. Show them your forgiveness. Show them your mercy. Let them have meaningful conversations with their friends who brought them here to know what it is to know you. And Jesus, for all of us, I just pray a simple prayer. Persuade us. If you want us to participate in this act of giving that you have set up for our money, would you persuade us? Would you show us what it looks like for us, for our family? God, I don't want anybody out here walking out here saying, Chelsea persuaded me. But I want all of us to walk out here and say, Jesus did something in my heart. Holy Spirit spoke something in my heart. Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. Speak to us. Thank you for the faith the freedom, the lack of worry in the name of Jesus that can be broken off as we live in your will for our finances. In Jesus' name, amen.